chapter, Ephesians chapter 4. I made this statement this morning, I'll make it again this evening. This passage is one that was much further down in my notes, but by the way, we have children's church. I, I didn't mean to, if, if, if Sweetie would like to go back with the kids, she's welcome to do that. Pam's back there, my wife, so y'all are at the altar and I meant to say something, so anyway, you can walk her back if you'd like to and then come back in, it's all good. Amen. I'm, amen. I meant to make a mention of that, so it's great. Praise God. All right. Um, I, mentioned, I mentioned it this morning. This, I'm, I'm not here necessarily to preach on this whole chapter but, or this whole passage that we're going to read because there's just a whole, whole bunch here that's really, really important. But I just felt so impressed by the Holy Spirit early this morning to, to read these verses and, and then let them provide a backdrop for some of the things we're going to talk about today. And so let's do that beginning in verse 11, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he himself, this is speaking of, of Jesus, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And that word edifying there simply means for the building, for the building. So we are a perfect work in progress on one level. We're perfect and complete, but on another level, we're still learning and growing and developing, amen, and, and so building. So for the work of the ministry, for the edifying or for the building of the body of Christ, till we all come, I want you to see this now, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Look at me for a moment. I want to comment on this before we read the next passages, okay? What he's saying here is that we are all growing this is not just about you personally as an individual, but this is about us as a body. It's not just about you being mature, but it's about all of us maturing together, us all coming into the unity of the faith, right? It's, it's about um, this idea of to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, this may not be an exact interpretation or translation of this, but it's really, really close. It'll help you and me get closer to it. He's talking about until we measure up to Him, till we measure up to Jesus. Literally, He's saying, till we become a body fit for our head, or till we become a bride fit for our groom. Now, I know us guys, that whole... Uh, bride and groom thing can make us a little nervous weak because we think in terms of the flesh that's not what he's talking about here he's talking about a unity a union a oneness so again till to the measure of the stature of the fullness of christ that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ. So do you see it a little more clearly now? Do you see it a little more clearly now? When you were born again, you became instantly a member of the body of Christ. You became a part of Him. You became one with Him. 
but so did everybody else in this room that's born again. And as much as we enjoy our individual personal relationship with God, and as, as important as it is that we walk with Him personally and individually, that's not the whole picture here. And if that's the only thing we're interested in, then we have missed the bigger picture that our Father is, is, is endeavoring, striving, working to develop. And that bigger picture is that we all come together as one and that as one, we become the body of Christ. And so it's not just that Jaden is growing up into Jesus. It's not just that Joel is growing up into Jesus. It's that all of us together are growing up into Him. Perhaps the, the best illustration of this would be, and I'm sure you did it maybe when you were a kid. I know my kids did it. Um, when they were kids, and that's like if you slip on your dad's shoes or an adult's shoes that are way too big, you know, and you have to kind of walk in them like this. And, and in other words, you know, over time, you'll grow into those adult shoes. So we've put on Christ, Galatians says. But there's just room for us to grow up into Him, right? We're, we're filling Him out would be another way. That would be another way that we could, we could say. We're, we're filling out his body, filling up his body. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying or the building up of itself in love. Now this last part is talking about two very important aspects of growth. It's talking about the body of Christ increasing in number, numerically. As people are born again, more and more people are saved. They're coming into the body of Christ. And so the body of Christ is growing numerically, and that's absolutely important. But then he's also talking about the body of Christ growing in maturity where we are maturing and developing and becoming stronger in faith, becoming stronger in character, becoming, becoming stronger uh, as, as far as our ability to, to persevere and endure and, and just, again, in every area and aspect. That's why it says growing up into Him in all things. Growing up into Him in the way you, uh, you know, handle money. Growing up into Him in the way that you deal with, uh, you know, frustrating issues in your life. So, I mean, in all things, all things means, guess what, all things. Growing up into Him. And so, notice that, as is the case with the way God operates, and we see it so beautifully in nature and in creation... Everything God created, He created it with the seed inside of it to reproduce itself. You've perhaps heard the age-old question, which came first, the chicken or the egg? And it was a tie. There's, there wasn't one before the other. When God created the chicken, He created the chicken with the egg inside the chicken to reproduce the chicken. Are you following what I'm saying? And so the same is true in what He's talking about here. As we grow we see that the body begins to do what? Begins to build its own self up. How, how is that possible? Well, it's possible through what we see all the way back in the Old Testament where he says that iron sharpens iron like, you know, like one man sharpens another. 
In other words, through our community, through our communion, through our fellowship, through our sharing with one another, people praying for one another at this altar tonight. We're sharpening one another. We're building one another up. We're edifying one another. So now he's saying that it takes on a a spiritual life, if you will, of its own, where we are edifying or building ourselves up, building itself up, the body building itself uh, up in love. Now, we've tackled some pretty big questions today, and I know a lot of you are not here this morning. I'm not going to try to re-preach all that, but I do want to comment on some of the things we said this morning as we move forward tonight. And one of the things that we talked about this morning was our ability to see the big picture. Our ability to see the big picture. And when I say big picture, I'm talking, generally speaking, exactly why are we here. And when I say why are we here, I'm talking about that on two levels. Number one, literally, why are we here on planet Earth? What, what, you know, what is it all about? But also, why are we here in a room together on a Sunday night? And, and I think a lot of people are very faithful to church their whole lives, but never really understand or answer those questions. Let me kind of expound upon what I'm talking about. What is life really all about? We know that God created us, but to what end? In other words, for what purpose? And so, not just why are we here on earth, but why are we here together in a building on a Sunday evening? If God has a purpose for our lives, what does coming to church have to do with that purpose? Why is it that He commanded us to assemble together and gave us very strict warning to not forsake that? Again, I believe some very important questions. So, we said this morning that what began in Genesis with let there be light, if you follow it all the way to the end of the book, it ends at a wedding feast. And what we see in between the beginning and what we know will be the ending before a new beginning, right? What we see in between, what we would also call human history. We're not at the end of this this season of our existence, both as individuals on planet Earth, but I'm talking about as humanity now as we know it on planet earth. Am I talking too lofty for you tonight? I'm not trying to. I want you to grab this. I want you to see this. Father's trying to say something to us. He's trying to, to, uh, to kind of shake us a little bit and, and, and show us some things tonight. Amen. Gently, but shake us nonetheless. Since what began with creation ends with a union, with a marriage, the broad perspective of what life on this planet is really all about, why are we here? It's a bride fit for the groom, or if this makes you more comfortable, a body fit for the head. I offer to you tonight that all of human history has been about establishing and growing the body of the Christ. Think about that now. I've been accused at times and I don't, I'm not offended by it one bit because Jesus took very complicated things and made them simple. I've been accused of making things too simple, oversimplifying. I'm not sure you can do that when it comes to the things of God. 
But again, I'm offering to you that all of human history has been about establishing and growing the body of Christ. Now, the Bible says in Ephesians 1 that we are the church which is His body. The body of Christ. That's not figurative. Please hear me. The devil would have you, the enemy would have you to only consider that as like a body. No, no, no. It's not like. It's, it's literal. In Ephesians 5, it goes all the way to say that we are flesh of His flesh and bone of His bones. Okay? Now we are the body of Christ, the Bible says, and members of one another. Amen. Now I can go on on that and we'll talk about that more. So when we talk about the church which is His body, the word church from the original language is the word ecclesia. The transliteration in the Greek is spelled with two Ks. E-K-K-L-E-S-I-A. The ecclesia. You don't got to know that to get into heaven, but just hear me, please. That word ecclesia means literally the called out ones. The called out ones. Now, let's review. If you're born again tonight, you are a member of the body of Christ. You are the church which is His body. As the church, what that literally means is not that you're a member of some denomination or that you go... See, we think of the building as the church. Man, that's way off, right? That's not the church. The church is the body of believers who assemble together in that specific building. Now, this building's been set aside for a specific purpose. We had a guy that wanted to hold an Elvis impersonation concert in here many years ago, and, and I was like, brother, look, I love you, man, and everything, but, but you know, no, you know, I mean, you know, it's just that simple, and, and he goes, it's just a building, and I said, you know, no, it's not just a building. It's a building that's been set aside and dedicated for the purpose of assembling together to draw near to God. It's not just a building. It's not just a building, right? So the building is important, and it's, it's again, designated as a place that God has provided. He built all this. He provided all of this, right? But the church is you and me. Now, the church then is the called out ones. You've been called out. Called out from what? Or called out from where? You've been called out from the world. You've been separated from all the rest of human population. You've been separated from everybody else unto God. We sometimes like to say, well, you know, we're all God's children. That's not true. That's not what the Bible teaches. I guess if you wanted to split the hair and say we're all God's children because God created every one of us, then yes. But the Bible says He came to His own people and His own people rejected Him. But as many as received Him, those people, those people He gave the right and privilege to be called, to become sons and daughters of God. So it's people who have answered the call. The people who have answered the call. That's the called out ones. So again, we're talking about all of human history has been about establishing and growing the body of Christ. You've got to create humanity before you can call uh, you know, humanity to yourself. He created us, here we are, and then He began to deal with us, He began to speak to us, He began to interact with us, right? God, I'm talking about God. 
all for the express purpose as human history rolled along, as human history unfolded, looking for a body for the Christ, looking for a groom for His Son. Again, what we know about it, beginning in Genesis all the way through to Revelation, it began with creation, it ends with a wedding feast. The church is the called out ones. Those who have answered the call of God and come to Him. I want to make sure you know this. The invitation that God has extended to humanity is an invitation to all of humanity when He said, Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So in one respect, you're special. But in another respect, every person has the same opportunity as far as God is concerned to come to Him now. They may not have the same opportunity if nobody tells them, and that's again a different sermon for a different night. But anyone can hear His call and respond to Him and be one of the called out ones. Those who have been called out and come out from darkness and the bondage of sin by the way made with the blood of Jesus. You still with me? Now we said this morning, and it bears repeating, and you'll hear this many more times because it's just something the Lord has been really, really, really emphasizing in my heart here lately. And that is the one thing God can't create. That's the title of the message this morning, the one thing God can't create. And the one thing that God cannot create is love freely given to Him from a willing heart. That's one thing He can't create. He can create someone with the capacity to offer Him that love freely from a willing heart. But He can't make you do it. The moment love becomes forced, it's no longer love. The moment you have no choice. There's no love there. So we have to have had been created in a way to say yes to Him or to say no to Him. Think about everything that He's done for you. Think about everything that He's done for you. Think about everything that He created for you. Think about every, every debt that He paid for you. And after all that, he handed you the keys and he said, serve me if you want to. Serve me if you want to. Right? If you think I've been too simple up until now, I'm fixing to get really, really simple. It's all been about him trying to win your heart. Everything He's done for you, the death that He died for you, the debt that He paid for you, the pain that He endured for you, the death, the, the hell that He went to for you, the victories that He's won for you, the, the, the doors that He's opened for you, the throne that He invites you to come and sit with Him, the, the, the kingdom that He's given to you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? All of that has been His efforts to win your heart to win your heart. Some of us played hard to get for a long time, didn't we? 
We played hard to get for a long time. What were we thinking? <laughs> what were we thinking? Picture it in the context of a, of a young man trying to win the heart of a young lady. Maybe she doesn't show a lot of interest and so he tries harder. Maybe she gives her heart to other things and to other people and he tries even harder. His friends start to say things like, hey dude, maybe you want to move on. But no, no, his heart's set on her. And so he tries even harder. At some point you almost start feeling sorry for him, don't you? It's like, come on buddy, man. She's showing you no interest. Yet the more he has pursued her, the greater his love for her has grown, even though she's really not even looked his way. Not even the first time, much less the second time. And yet he continues to pursue her. Do you know that's, that's exactly, that's exactly what's hap what has happened with Jesus and the angels? The Bible says the love and affection and concern and, and, and literally almost obsession that he has with us. The Bible says it's something the angels do not understand and long to look into. They long to understand it. You ever had a friend that was so obsessed with, a, with someone of the opposite sex and you're like, you know, why do you keep going back to him? You know, he cheats on you, he lies to you, he's mean to you, he, you know, and yet keep going back, keep going back, keep going back, right? Do you realize how many times we've cheated on the Lord? How many times we've ignored His advances? How many times we've, you know, just played hard to get and, and He just kept trying harder and harder and harder to win your heart? His love for you is real. His love for you is real. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me get back up here and finish this. Praise God. So the church is the called out ones. Simply means those who have heard and answered the call of God and come to Him. Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you a rest. We're speaking about those who have come out from darkness and the bondage of sin that was made by the blood of Jesus, the way that was made by the blood of Jesus. Now we could teach a whole class on just this one subject, but in two parables, two different parables, Jesus brought us to the same conclusion. Two different roads that led to the same location. And that conclusion was this. Many are called, but few are chosen. Anybody ever heard that expression? The world slings that around. A lot of people sling that around and have no idea it comes out of the Bible. It came from the lips of Jesus. Jesus said, after telling these two, these two parables, and they're, they're different parables in, in, many, in many ways, but yet they both lead to that same, uh, that same point. So obviously, two parables, to bring us to the same conclusion, there, there is some emphasis, right, that, that, is, that is being placed upon this truth. Many call for you are chosen. Well, again, without expounding, it's in, it's in Matthew, the, the latter chapters of Matthew. But without going into a lengthy explanation, what it basically boils down to is the difference between one who has been called out and one who is chosen is that the ones who are chosen are the ones who are willing to have a relationship with God on His terms. Willing to have a relationship with God on His terms. His terms as opposed to my terms. 
Now, there's a lot of saved folks, born-again people, on planet Earth. And, you know, some folks disagree with me on this. Come to the discipleship counselor training class, and I, you give me about six hours, and I'll, I'll show it to you in the Scriptures. I believe every one of those folks is going to be in heaven one day. Okay? Because they've been called out, they've answered the call, they've been born again. Are you hearing me? This is important, okay? But they want a relationship with God on their terms. They want what God can do for them, but they don't really want Him. They want His blessing, but they don't want to do life His way. Wow. Many are called, but few are chosen. The difference between one who is called out and one who is chosen is that the chosen one is willing to not just have a relationship with God for what they can get out of it, but they're interested in having a relationship with God for what He can get out of it. See, this brings us back to the body of Christ. This brings us back to what this is all about to begin with. In other words, why we're here anyway, right? One verse that really, I think, states it very clearly is Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Jesus speaking, written in red, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. And this was written to the church at Laodicea. We often hear this passage for an, an invitation, an altar call for salvation, right? Right? If you were raised in church, especially denominational church, then you know, the pastor would, you know, if you're not here, you've never been saved, you know, Jesus is knocking at your door. Some famous artwork of that, of Jesus knocking on the door. And if you look carefully at the artwork, there's no handle on the outside. In other words, it has to be open from the inside. And, and all of that very symbolic, all of that very important. But I think sometimes we miss... We miss what's really being said here is that Jesus is knocking on the door of the called out ones wanting to have close, personal, intimate fellowship with them. So to the called out ones, he says, I'm knocking and I would love to have a meal with you. I would love to be invited in to more and more and more of your individual life and ultimately invited into more and more and more of the life of the church itself. Amen? Amen. Now, we have talked a great deal about the importance of renewing our minds. And we've talked about how the way we think affects the way we function that word function, is, it's, a, it's a biblical word. Um, let me, praise God. Let me, I want you to put a couple of verses on the screen. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18. It says, but now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as He pleased. This same passage from the Passion Translation, I love it, listen to what it says. But God has carefully designed each member and placed it in the body to function as He desires. You were created by God for a purpose. 
and the sweet spot of life, whether you're in this building tonight and you're young or whether you're in this building tonight and you're getting older, please hear me. What you're ultimately looking for in life is the purpose for which you were created. And the sweet spot of life is when you understand that purpose and you function in it. You function in it. You function in it. And I'm not just talking about employment. I'm talking about purpose. Purpose. So this leads us then to an important question, and this is kind of setting the stage for where we're headed next in, in the course of our study together. But how did God create us to think and function? If you happen to be here on Tuesday evening, this is really the heart of what the Lord has been teaching me about health and nutrition. Is back towards the uh, end of last year. I just got before God as serious to hear from Him about any, any, as anything I've ever been serious to hear about Him from. Is I wanted Him to show me not just what I needed to eat, but how I needed to think about food. It's really, really important. You can't change a habit without changing the underlying thinking that is, that is fueling and, 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 and con- causing that habit to continue. See, it's one thing to change your diet. It's another thing to keep on believing you'll never enjoy life without a Coke in one hand and a Snicker bar in the other. You, you follow what I'm saying? It's one thing to say, you know what, I'm going to eat better because I need to lose some weight. It's another thing altogether for the Lord to change your thinking when it comes to how would I ever enjoy another movie with my family without a bucket full of popcorn and a big economy bag full of peanut M&Ms. Right? You see what I'm saying? Okay. So I'm not just saying how did God create us to live? And, you know, by the way, the average Christian would just go to the Ten Commandments or something like that. And we're talking about something so much more than that. It's, you know. So not just how did He create us to function, how did He create us to think and function? How did God create us to think and function? I'm, I'm winding it down. Just stay with me for a minute. I'm offering to you tonight that, that every moment of pain in our lives, every failure, every fear, every lack, every moment of dissatisfaction and misery is a direct result of our thinking and functioning in a way opposite to how God created us. Did you catch that? All of our misery, not not some of it, all of it, all of it. It all began with Adam and Eve choosing to step away from God and function in a way that God never created them to function. All of our pain, failure, fear, lack, dissatisfaction, and misery in life is a result of thinking and functioning opposite to the way God created us. Now I'm going to leave you tonight where I left us this morning. We think me first, others second. We think individual first, community second. Member first, 
body second. But God thinks just the opposite, and He created you to think just the opposite from the way the average person on planet Earth thinks. I'm even going to say the way the overwhelming majority of people inside the church think. Our first thought about any group of people is, how can these people help me? What can they do for me? What do they have to offer me? And we use that kind of information, listen to me please, to determine our level of involvement, participation, and connectedness to those people. Over the years, we've had uh, young men and, and uh, actually a couple of young ladies who are really into skateboarding. And so, you know, if you're into skateboarding and you find that there's a group in Hueytown that skateboards together and has some half pipes and things of this nature, well, you may look at this and it's like, hey, you know, I may want to connect with these people. I may want to become involved with them. I want to get to know them because they have things to offer me that I don't have access to. They, you know, we, we could do things together that we enjoy. We have some things in common. Are you following what I'm saying? Just, I'm just using that as a very random, you know, just off the top of my heart example of what I'm talking about. So again, we, we observe, we evaluate based upon what's in it for me, what can they do for me, how can they help me, what do they have to offer me, and based upon how we answer those questions, we use that data, we use that information to determine how involved, how much we're going to participate, how connected we're going to be. I'm telling you this evening, that's wrong. That's not how we were created to think and function. We need to evaluate it this way. How can I help these people? What do I have to offer them? What can I do to help them? I want you to think about it for a minute. Every church in America, for that matter, every church in our world today, individual bodies of Christ that meet, you know, like we're meeting here, including this one, would be revolutionized overnight if we simply changed our thinking in this one area. I'm not, you're here, it used to frustrate me when I was a kid and the preacher would fuss about people not coming to church. I'm like, dude, the ones that need to hear this aren't here. Why are you fussing at me? I'm here, right? You know, that's not what this is about. I'm trying to help you see that there are people not here tonight for a lot of reasons, but among them, either consciously or subconsciously, is there's really nothing more for me to get tonight that I didn't get, that I didn't receive. There's really nothing else an evening service has to offer me that the morning service didn't do for me. You follow, you follow what I'm saying? Right? Do you see the mindset? In other words, we consciously or subconsciously make decisions based upon our attendance, our involvement, our participation, our level of participation, our, our level of how close we're going to get these people. How much there are people who've come to Heritage for 15 years that have never let any of us into their personal life. Never let any of us in. 
That's true. I'm telling you, it's true. Keep everybody at a distance. Keep everybody around here, right? Some tragedy, some catastrophe, some brokenness in their families. You know, those cracks will let us in for a little bit. Then after the meals are cooked, after the prayers are prayed, after the funerals preached, whatever, everything's sealed back up and push everybody back out again. Right? All of that is telling me, as the servant leader of this family of faith, that the mindset, the mindset is... What can I get out of it? And if I've already got out of it what I think I need from it, there's no need, right? I've laid in the floor right there and cried. I can't believe I'm about to say this, but I'm about to say it. I've laid right there in the floor and cried because of the example that we set at Heritage for these men from the foundry concerning our faithfulness to a Sunday night service. What are we telling them? They come here on Sundays, they see this building almost full. They come back on Sunday night and it's like, dude, we're all back. Where's all the folks that are supposed to be the, the backbone of this place, right? It's a very poor example. And I apologize to you men. It's a very poor example. Thank you for the example you're setting for us. Thank you. I mean that sincerely from my heart. Thank you for the example that you're sitting for, setting for us. Amen or oh me. Amen or oh me. You say, so Pastor Mark, Father, Father God's not interested in my needs being met. He absolutely is interested in your needs being met. He's not interested in me getting some out of this. He absolutely is interested in you getting some out of this. But this is the part you've got to understand. Until your thinking shifts and you become a river flowing out of you instead of a reservoir where everything flows into you, you're not ever going to have what God created you to have in this life. The only thing you can keep is what you give away. It's what you give away. Do I enjoy coming to church? Man, what do you mean? Couldn't wait to get back here tonight. Couldn't wait to get back here tonight. Do I get things out of it? You better know I do. But for me, it's what I get to give while I'm here. It's what I get to... I've had people tell me, Pastor Mark, you've got to slow down. You've got to, you got to this. You're going to burn yourself out. I said, man, you don't understand. You, you're looking at this. For, and I appreciate people loving me and being concerned about me. And, and we're about to take a vacation. We'll be, be away for a little while and get some rest. That's important. God, God ordained, you know, 52 days of rest a year. And, and I got all that. I'm, I'm, amen. This does not, this is life giving. Are you, are you understand what I'm saying? This, this doesn't burn me out. This fires me up. This doesn't wear me down. This energizes me. It may be the simplest, even the corniest thing I've ever said, you know, or said tonight, not ever said. That'd be hard to top. I've had some dingers over the years, right? But water cannot flow through a pipe without the inside of the pipe getting wet. And when you allow the life of God to flow through you and your focus is not on what's in it for me, not what do they have to offer me, but what do I have to offer them? That's when the, 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 the full measure of who and what God is inside of you begins to flow through you. 
And that's, I'm telling you, if, there, if there's, there's lots of, of secrets or mysteries or what have you to life, this is a big one right here. Because the world goes about it just the opposite. What can I get out of it? What's in it for me? What do they have to offer me? And depending on how we evaluate our need or, or desire for those things, we determine how involved we're going to be. That's not the body of Christ. That's not the body of Christ. Amen. Amen. Stand with me. Praise God. <clears throat> Father, you're good to us and we love you. And I thank you for what you're doing here among us. Father, I know both the message tonight and the one this morning had a bit of heaviness to it. And Father, I'm certainly not here to, to beat up on us. But Father, I believe that you put in my heart to say the things that I've said today. And Father, I thank you that as our minds are being renewed to who we are in Christ, we are not going to be like some, Father, who stops short of understanding that we are the body of Christ and that we will never, ever, ever understand our true identity and our true purpose outside of being connected to, involved with, and offering our resources to the body of Christ at large. Thank you for loving us. Thank you, Lord, for faithfulness. Oh, how you honor faithfulness, Father. Thank you for the faithfulness of the men and women in this room, the faithfulness of those who are here this morning. Father, thank you for building character and integrity and, 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 and holiness and godliness in us, Father, through faithfulness, through endurance. Father, as we launch out into a new work week, I thank you, Lord, for helping us to let our light shine in such a way that people see our good works and how we live and bring glory to you in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. 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 Praise God. Thank you.